Coming up this week, USA Today best-selling author Serena Bowen joins us, plus Hattrick celebrates an anniversary. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 22 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willcanals.com. How are you today? I'm super duper. Super duper. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Just fine? Thank you for asking. Um, so, should we tell our listeners why this is a very special episode? <laughs> it's very special because we're recording it super early. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, we record each episode on a Sunday, and then the show goes live on Monday morning. Yep. We are recording this particular episode an entire week in advance. We are. Yeah. And we recorded episode 21 a day earlier than usual because we were, we knew we were double recording this weekend because we are actually in Orlando this weekend. Mm-hmm. The weekend that you're actually hearing this, anyway. Um, we're at the Dream Spinner Conference, uh, which wraps up on Sunday afternoon, and then we'll actually be coming home on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a lot of cool podcast stuff there, or at least we assume we are, because uh, we're trying to talk to a lot of authors while we're there and maybe put a couple of uh, author interviews in the can while we're in Orlando and seeing people live, mm-hmm. rather than you know connecting them via phone or Google Hangouts or whatever. Uh, so we'll be able to tell you all about that trip next week. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be nice to be in Florida. I'm just... <laughs> it's, it's, it looks like it's going to be nice weather. It's going to be kind of spring, like high 70s, low 80s. The sun's going to be out. Yeah. Uh, it should be fun. It'll be great to see all of our author friends and make some new friends. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people there. What are you yeah. looking forward to the most? Um, learning stuff. Stuff. I mean, I know that sounds pretty generic, right? Uh, the program of events that Dream Spinners laid out there uh, to help authors, you know, write better books, market the books better, uh, looks really fascinating to me. And I'm glad to get that kind of couple of days of kind of in- intensive learning. Uh, plus, getting to hang out with the authors. It's one of my favorite things, you know, going to GRL is interacting with the readers and, of course, the authors, and this is going to be three days of authors mm-hmm. that we can hang out, network, talk, learn stuff, learn what our fellow authors are doing. Yeah. What are you looking forward to? Well, hmm, being in Florida will be nice, being <laughs> being uh, being somewhere new, uh, staying at a, a resort that um, we've certainly never been to before. Yeah. Um, and yeah, getting to see everybody. A lot of uh, familiar faces will be there and uh, some new ones as well. And um, what I love most about these uh, conference type situations is kind of the immersion aspect. Just getting to like, you know, live, eat and breathe everything writing gonna be awesome i'm looking forward to it mm-hmm. yeah plus there's uh we had a a preview of the some of the panels and uh i can't think of the other word now sessions sessions thank you some of the sessions that are going to be taking place over the weekend and i'm looking forward to some of those a lot they're going to be uh really good really interesting so yeah i agree 
one of the things we've been doing getting ready as well is we've been brainstorming our own set of books. We've been brainstorming on a trilogy mm-hmm. that we're going to take and pitch while we're there. Yeah. Um, we, we have it in our heads that we want to co-write, which I think is going to be fun. Neither one of us has co-written yet. Uh, you know, we hinted at that a little bit uh, with the Kindles when we talked to them. Yes. That we were working on it. And over the last week, uh, we've been brainstorming pretty hardcore in front of the whiteboards um, to figure out this three book series that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have loved doing that with you. <laughs> it has been such a good time. Oh. You know, knocking around the ideas. Um, Seeing what kind of works, what doesn't work, you know, what you want to write, what I want to write, and kind of meshing it all together into what is hopefully three workable books that Dream Spinner will say, well, yes, please write those for us. Yeah. We would love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love, I look forward to the, when we get down to the nitty gritty of the writing, which, you know, we, we're planning to start uh, in the second half of the year. Uh, it's going to be fun, I think. And figuring out how we want to do it. And we'll, and of course, you guys on the podcast will get to follow along on that journey. Indeed, because we'll talk about it. I'm sure a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk about how it's going. Yeah, absolutely. What have you enjoyed about the brainstorming? I think it's been. Or I guess I should say, have you enjoyed the brainstorming? And if, <laughs> and if, if and if not, you know, what, what's been your thinking on it? Well, I did get kind of emo about the uh, process the other day. Mainly because I was feeling anxious about maybe not having a completely clear uh, picture of the um, the break the scene by scene breakdown of how the story progresses. Uh, so I had a little bit of anxiety about that the other day, but um, that went away as soon as I realized you know we don't need to know all that stuff right now. Um, the point of the uh, brainstorming that we're doing right now is uh, it's basically just an overall picture of the two main characters and their situation and their world and their conflict and that sort of thing. Um, we'll get deeper into um, all of that stuff later. That's uh, yeah, yeah. There was no reason for me to get freaked out or worry about that because that's that's yeah. not where we are at at the no, process. No, I think. I think, as far as I'm concerned, where we need to be is that each book kind of needs to have its seven-point breakdown mm-hmm. done. And how we achieve those seven points will suss out as we get closer to writing each book. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I don't, we haven't talked about this, so I'll, I don't know how you'll feel about it, but we'll see. I don't know that we need to necessarily, scene by scene, two and three, until like we're done with one. Since we've got characters in one who carry into two, we don't want to necessarily break that down too far. True. And lock ourselves in when we haven't quite written the first book yet to know how these people kind of evolve mm-hmm. in the first place. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think we're going to be in a good spot to, to make our pitches and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Should be cool. Should be cool. So an anniversary that we talked about at the very, very tippy top. Um this week is an anniversary near and dear to my heart because it's this week in 2013 that I signed the contract for the first Tetric book. Mm. And that was huge. That was after six years of poking at it and starting and stopping on it yeah. and yeah. Um, you know, trying to make it into the book that I kind of knew it could be and that maybe somebody else would want to read. And 
Uh, and so it was, it was huge to sign that. And here we are, you know, th three years later, and there's three novels, three shorts in that series. It's already had a spinoff book. I'm planning another spinoff book. And it seems, you know, it seems to have really resonated with some people, mm -hmm. which is good. You know, when I wrote it, it was mostly like, I want to tell this story and I'm going to tell this story and that was kind of that. toss it out into the world right. and see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and for me that was the accomplishment that made, you know that that justified six years, mm -hmm. and those have even been justified more because I've been able to extend the story, you know, beyond that single book and tell what I think is a really satisfying arc. The arc satisfies me, and I know it satisfies some others. Um, and just just today before we you know sat down to record, um, Brandlin over at Prison Book Alliance, she's been a, a huge champion of the series. Um, as have uh, some other, many other reviewers out there, and I don't, I know I've called Brandolin out quite a lot lately because she's, her reviews have been out the latest. But there's Jason over at Joyfully Jay and Christina at Queer Centric and some others who've mm -hmm. really been behind the series all along. Uh, but today, Brandolin put out a list of her top ten LGBT fiction books, and the Hattrick series was there, yeah. which was just like, wow. You know, that it rakes that high. Because this is somebody who reads a jillion books a year. Yeah, she, yeah, she does. Both yeah. for, you know, what she reviews on the site and just reading, just to read for her own pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and she put this book alongside titles by J.P. Barnaby and uh, Jamie Fessenden and John Good and Eric Arvin, along with some others. Um, who on a, There's some on that list. I honestly don't know what those books are. I've heard of them, but I haven't read them. Uh, if they're that high up on Brandilyn's list, they need to get on my TBR because I trust what she reads in general. Uh, but to be in that company was really like, wow. Especially as I come up on the anniversary of getting the book off the ground in the first place. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're too cute. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so happy anniversary to Hattrick. Um, in honor of its anniversary, uh, I'm offering up... Uh, a raffle copter giveaway that's on the show notes page this week where I will give one lucky uh, listener slash watcher slash somebody who stumbles onto the page yeah. um, the entire set of ebooks. Three novels, three shorts. You get the whole thing. I don't give the whole thing away very often. So right. there's an opportunity to, to grab the, the entire series in honor of its anniversary. And where does this raffle copter live? On the show notes for this episode. Awesome. Okay. So, another big trip coming up this year, GRL. Indeed. And if you're a, one of those people who watches the GRL calendar carefully, uh, registration's coming up Saturday, March 12th. And in an odd turn, I shouldn't say odd, it's not, you know, it's not like it's weird or anything, but <laughs> in a change of tradition, uh, on March 12th, authors and readers will register on the same day, mm -hmm. um, a few hours separate from each other. I believe author registration... I want to say it's at noon Eastern, and the reader registration might follow at 2 or 3. Okay. Um, check the GRL website, which will be linked up in the show notes. Uh, we are planning to be there in Kansas City. Kansas City? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Somehow, all of a sudden, I was like somewhere else. Yeah, that's where it is. Um, so, yeah, we'll be there. That's October October 20th through the 22nd, according to the calendar that's behind me on the wall. Um, so yeah, if you're going to register, uh, plan to be in front of your computer on Saturday, March 12th. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. So, shall we get to last week's question? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, last week we asked, as a reader, what's your p- favorite POV and why? Now, normally, uh, at this point in the episode, we would read some of the responses uh, that you, our lovely listeners, have sent in. But, since we're recording this so early... Yeah. And we don't, you, have, we don't have a time machine. You Well, that's true, we don't. Um, you haven't had a chance to answer this particular question yet. Um, at least in this timeline. That's true. When, when, oh, oh gosh, it's confusing me already. Anyway, so. <laughs> if this were Legend of Tomorrow, you may have actually already seen that episode, answer your, your question, and we could have maybe gone and gotten those answers, but uh, not so much in this timeline, sorry. Anyway, so, um, thank you to all of those who have answered this question. Uh, if you would like to know what your fellow listeners have to say about the topic of POV, you can certainly go to the website, biggayfiction.com, and look at the show notes for this particular episode, and we'll have all of the salient answers right there for your perusal. Yes, because even though we're traveling, we will keep up on that. So that <laughs> I we just can... said, I just said, okay, this is impressive. I just said salient and perusal in the same sentence. Come on. You did. You're not impressed at all. Fine, moving on. But you've, you've exhibited big word usage many times lately on the show, so it's becoming commonplace, and I like it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway, mm. <laughs> let's get on with the big centerpiece of this episode. Yes, um, that's, yes, we should. USA Today bestselling author Serena Bowen. Uh-huh. Um, listeners of the podcast know I'm a big fanboy here um, with both last year's Understatement of the Year and... Last, and, and him, both which came out last year. Um, so, yeah, I was a little fanboy in this interview. Uh, anyway, for those who don't know Serena, she debuted back in 2014 uh, with The Year We All Fell Down, which was book one in the Ivy Year series. Um, what started as a straight romance series uh, added in a male-male romance uh, with book three, which was the understatement of the year. Uh, in 2015, Serena also teamed with Elle Kennedy, who's a New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of romantic sus- suspense and erotic contemporary romance for the book Him, which told the story of childhood friends Jamie and Wes, who rediscovered each other as they were poised to turn pro hockey players. This Tuesday on March 8th, they released the sequel to that book called Us. Now, it's interesting, as we've been watching Us in its pre-order phase on Amazon, we're about 10 days out right now, Mm-hmm. Uh, for when the book comes out. Yeah. And this is kind of interesting to look at in in light of the success that Kindle Alexander had earlier this year when their book came out in January. Mm-hmm. Um, ten days ahead of its release on pre-order, uh, we see that that Us is currently number one in both gay romance and bisexual romance and in the top 300 in the entire Kindle store. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good job, Serena and Elle, hitting that milestone before you're even out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. And, uh, we'll certainly be looking at that as we get closer, as the release passes, and, and see how it climbs up from there. So, without further ado, here is Serena's interview. So, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast Serena Bowen. Uh, she is the USA Today bestselling author and author of one of my top reads from 2015, The Understatement of the Year, uh, which is part of her Ivy series. Serena paired up with Elle Kennedy last year to write him. And they are back with a sequel called Us, which debuts this Tuesday, March 8th. Serena, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. So tell our listeners a little bit about the world of him and us. Well, 
Elle Kennedy and I had both read each other's hockey romance, and she told me privately how much she really liked the understatement of the year. And she said, you know, if you ever want to co-write a book, another love story involving two male hockey players, let me know. I would love to do that with you. And I thought, wow, that sounds like about as much fun as I could have. So I thought about it a little bit, and I didn't know how serious she was. But I thought if I wanted her to be serious about it, I should give her, I should bring her an idea. So I did, and it was just a little bit of a jumping off place for him. And that jumping off place was, what if these two elite players saw each other on, um, on film before a big matchup? What would that be like? And they hadn't seen each other in years and they were going to face each other again. And, and that was it, just that little jumping off place, that moment of tension. And we had a great time plotting the novel together before we wrote it. Did you always know there would be two books or a series perhaps, or was it initially just envisioned as the first and then you went from there? We just thought about the one book and we put everything we had into making that one book what we wanted it to be. And then um, we really realized later that we'd left our gentleman in a precarious position and that we had more to say about their relationship and about what their lives would be like together. Mm -hmm. Had you co-written before? I Well, Elle had co-written several novels before. And I actually had co-written a nonfiction book, which is entirely different because you can just divide and conquer. Um, and I was a little nervous about it because I hadn't done it, but I was fascinated by the idea. I'd always been interested in co-authorship. I remember reading The Nanny Diaries in the 90s, which, which was a really funny, astute look at New York City. And as I read it, I thought, about the co-writing process and uh, you know who came up with this funny bit and whose line was that and how how did they do it and then i forgot about it for a good decade or two and then l said listen i think it will work better if we each if we pass it back and forth in about 2000 word increments so we tried that and it worked so much better than i thought it would i was worried that i would open up her new chapter from time to time and think oh well, my character wouldn't say that, or that wouldn't happen. But that's not at all how it was. Every time I opened up one of her segments, it was like Christmas morning, because my <laughs> characters were there, and they were saying funny things, and they were doing things, and I hadn't had a thing to do with it. It was just the most wonderful thing. So we wrote that book super quickly. We got a draft super quickly, of course, and then we spent a nice chunk of time revising it. But then when I turned back to the novel I was writing by myself, I, it was much, much more difficult. Every little question I had to answer for myself and every problem was my own problem. And I thought, well, this is terrible. You, you mentioned the 2000 word increments. Did you split up characters? Because both books are, you know, there's West chapters and Jamie chapters. Did you split the characters or was it just whatever 2000 words was next up? It was whatever 2,000 words. And the funny thing is that everyone assumes that we divided it by character. And for some reason, 
everyone assumes that Elle wrote Wes and that I wrote Jamie. <laughs> and um, we were both a little, you know, annoyed by this because <laughs> Elle's, Elle's thoughts are, you know, I can write the sensitive man too. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I could write the bad boy. So, you know, we like to set people straight that indeed I did write at least half of what Wes says and and Elle wrote at least half of Jamie. So there you go. How did that pan out in the editing process in terms of making sure that Wes always sounded like Wes and Jamie always sounded like Jamie? Really, we just had it easy. It, they were just really clear to us from the start. And somehow it wasn't difficult. Maybe there would be a book that she and I could try together where that was hard, but it's just, it just worked. Now, when we wrote Us together, we did that the last couple of months. And um, there's a character that everyone is going to be talking about in Us, and his name is Blake Riley. And he is a louder than life, leap off the page kind of character. And I was the first person to put Blake on the page in the first scene of the book. Um, and he, he says a couple things. And then in the next scene where he appears, Elle wrote something for Blake. And what she wrote was his celebratory dance. You know, when he scores for his team, he has this celebratory dance, which is half riding his stick like a pony and half driving a train. And in, in Wes's voice, Elle wrote, um, it's the stupidest thing ever, but the crowd goes wild for it. And later, when we'd finished the book, I told her that I didn't see Blake clearly until I read that line of hers about the riding the stick like a pony. And, the, and, and that's the moment when I saw Blake clearly. And she said, well, that's funny because I saw him clearly when you wrote the other thing in the first chapter. <laughs> oh, that's awesome that it works that well. It, well, it just did. And, you know, it's just luck and you can't overthink these things. But we both were, are able to sort of catch on to what the other person's trying to accomplish. And that was just a really funny realization of it for me that she saw him when I wrote him and I saw him when she wrote him. Mm -hmm. And you've done a really great job with Blake, too, because he does jump off the page and you kind of <laughs> cringe when he shows up, much like I think Wes and Jamie do occasionally. <laughs> right, right. He's just great. I, I love. I love a character in a book that starts off as an antagonist and ends up being valuable mm -hmm. to the to the main characters. I just I just love that. So to pull this off, did you do a lot of plotting in advance? I can't imagine in this scenario that there must have been too much pantsing going on. Oh right, we definitely plot the arc ahead of time. So we know what's happening in the book and we know for example, we know what the setting is and we know how the setting matters and, you know, we sort of sketch in the secondary characters and their motivations and their complications. But the funny thing is that even if you think you have a good arc and a good outline going in, there will always be things where you get to a spot and you realize, actually, you don't have any idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not as if we had this perfect blueprint and all we had to do was show up but if you don't have that basic outline I don't I don't know how that would work that seems like one too many complicating factors sure 
Was there anything, if you could give it, if you could talk about it without a spoiler, that perhaps Elle wrote when you opened up to read her 2000 before you started on yours and you're like, wow, didn't see that coming? Um, plot wise, not really, but emotionally, sure. If she, if a character has a thought on the page. In Us, there's this moment when Jamie has a real fear about their relationship. And Elle put that fear on the page and then finished the chapter. And I picked up to go on and I thought, that is really important, that moment that she just put there. In fact, I think it's so important that I'm going to go back and expand it and then use it over here and then bring it back here and move it around. So yeah, there were absolutely moments when she wrote something that um, was a surprise to me, but not in terms of plot, not like sure. she wrote that suddenly a giant squid attacked, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like that. That would be different. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I love so much about both him and us is that they're so current. You've got these characters that even with marriage equality in the US and Canada and, and us takes place up in Toronto, that the struggle that Wes has about coming out is still so relevant. And one of the lines that I took away from the book is something that one of his friends says about bigots and that's uh, maybe we should judge and persecute them right back so that they know what it feels like. That's a strong message I, to put out there, I think, and, and a pretty good one, too. Uh, are you looking for audiences to take away more than just, this is a great romance that's told on this page? Well, sure, I am. Um, most of the audience for this book will already have absorbed that particular sentiment. Um, it's it's quite hard to write the reality of Wes's life as an NHL player coming out because obviously there hasn't been one yet. Um, and getting the balance of optimism and cynicism correct is really important to this story and to making it feel realistic. Um, so, for example, the PR guy in, in readers of him will know that the PR guy for the team is fighting the good fight. But he has a slightly cynical view, too. Mm -hmm. and, and that his cynicism is actually a practical kind. So I wouldn't have wanted either of these books to ever have a big, like, jumbotron love-in moment but that doesn't mean that i don't think that this team could be wonderfully supportive mm -hmm. um one of my favorite lines from the book and without a spoiler in us there's this moment when wes is actually eavesdropping on his teammates and he hears one of them say that the proceeds of something will be um donated to an LGSB group. And the other teammate says, don't you mean an LGBT group? And the first player's like, oh, 
I'm pretty sure there was a cue in there somewhere. And, and the reason I like this line so much is because it shows that it's possible to be a good guy, but also clueless. And, and that's, the, that's the place where this locker room could really be, which is just not bad um, and ready to stand for their teammate, but, but not really knowing how and, and not having any basis for having thought about it before. And, and that was what was fascinating to me about the second part of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I loved in particular that you said it in Toronto with the Maple Leafs, since, you know, they were kind of on the front lines of you can play getting started since they had uh, Brian Burke at the time as their coach. Was that at all deliberate in setting it in Toronto? No. And in fact, Maple Leaves are never mentioned in these books. True. uh, Because we wouldn't ever want to use a real franchise as our team descriptor. This is a fictional setting. But Toronto is a lovely city that I like very much and that Elle calls home. So um, we love Toronto for our own reasons. And, um, but it is, and everything that happens first in hockey tends to happen with Canada. So it's, it's just such an important part of hockey culture. So that's just fabulous. Yeah, that's very true. So without giving away spoilers on my part, I have, I have found that you write, and maybe Elle's responsible for this in, in us, uh, but there's amazing scenes in hospitals. You've got one an understatement that more than a year after I've read it still sticks with me. And there's a, f- a wonderful one that uh, some stuff that goes down in us. Uh, do you see patterns like this in the books that you write where like there's these centerpiece things that or settings that come up? Well, I have a lot of trouble keeping hospitals out of every one of my books because it's a place of natural drama. Um, All humans are afraid of illness and death. So a hospital looms large in the dramatic arc of any book in which it appears. So yeah, lots of, lots of terrific important moments can be, can be set places like that. And the hospital scene from the understatement of the year is something that people always talk about to me. And um, they, they mention it as a pivotal point in the book. Um, and so I actually have to try quite hard not to duplicate myself. And, and obviously what happens in us has nothing to do with that scene um, from understatement of the year. It's a very different moment. But a, a, a lot of, if you think about how relationships between people are proved out and shown, how one behaves in at a hospital setting is pretty important. So yeah, I love that scene too in the new book. It's it's lovely. Yeah, and you're right that it's it's completely opposite from understatement, and yet completely wonderful in its own right. And I look forward to seeing how you know, the people who who read us. Uh, react to that scene and see if it stands out for them as much as it did for me. Well, thank you. It it was a pleasure to write. We, we both, um, we both worked on those parts. One of the amazing things about co-writing is that when you're done with the book, you can't remember which parts you wrote. 
And, and um, partly that's because we would actually switch back and forth mid-scene. And um, so when you go back and edit and you're reading a scene, you find a line that you know you wrote and then you find a line that you know she wrote and, and you can't actually remember where the break-off place was. So that's, that's been fascinating to, to be confused about whose line was whose after the fact. So if I'm understanding that right, that you'd actually, when you're talking about writing about 2,000 words, you wouldn't even necessarily finish a chapter before passing it back? That's right. And it's not because, oops, 2,000 words, you know, slam the computer shut. It's because there would be a natural break in my writing day, perhaps, or that I came to a point where I had a question and I needed to have a conversation with her about it. And so we have these really long texting conversations about everything. And um, we write in Google Docs, and there's um, a texting app in the corner of Google Docs. If you've ever used it, you can actually have a conversation inside the document. Um, so we would do that as well. I know another uh, co-write pair who tend to work in Google Docs, and they tend to assign characters to each other, and they actually uh, will be in front of their docs writing at the same time, and if their characters are talking back and forth, they'll actually do it almost like texting. And you know, so and so says this, and then so and so, the other person will write the next line, and then the next line, and then the next line. That sounds really labor intensive. <laughs> Little labor intensive, but kind of fun too. If you've got the time to both sit there at the same time and do it, right. I wish I had that kind of time. One thing that we have ended up doing that way are the blurbs or the flap copy for our books. So when it's time to write that description that will go up on Amazon and iBooks to tell people what the book is about, that sucker tends to get written like that, like two cursors blinking in the Google Docs and both of us trying things. I do like that because blurbs are just the worst. They're just the worst. They're the hardest ever. Yeah, the book could be really easy to write, and then you get to that blurb and knocking it down to like 200, 400 words. And... Right. I have one that I'm avoiding right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you also write uh, male-female romance, straight romance. Um, how do your readers go back and forth? Do they? Do you find that most of them will go back and forth between the books, or... Do they have any, you know, hesitation because there are these male-male uh, romance that you do? <clears throat> Excuse me. Or is it just love is love and they're reading because Serena Bowen and L. Kennedy wrote these books? Yes to all of that. I have a lot of readers who had never read a male-male romance until the understatement of the year or, or him. So I get, if you look at the reviews for these books, you'll see a lot of reviews that say, this is the first male-male romance I ever wrote. And then if you read a few more reviews, you'll see some that say, I loved the understatement of the year, and if she writes another male-male romance, I'll read it. <laughs> so I, I would say there are at least as many readers who only read my male-male books as readers who will only read my male-female books. And I've only gotten a couple of really nasty emails from people who have written me to say that they won't read me anymore because I 
write mail mail books. Um, there were only one or two of those. And my feeling was, well, keep your four bucks, lady. <laughs> 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 I don't care. <laughs> I think it's one of the great things that you did with the Ivy Year series is that you've built this world where there's everybody. You know, Riker and Graham showed up in, in book four, and uh, Graham is in some of the other books before we get his story, but it just makes this cohesive world that's like the world we live in, frankly. Exactly, and I wanted to do that. And people told me I was crazy, that, that it, it was hard to have a series that went back and forth like that. But I just didn't care because I love the understatement of the year so much. And um, a lot of people tell me it's the best book in the series, full stop. So I just did it my way because I didn't have a publisher to answer to. And it's a great, it's been a great decision. So the, the fanboy in me has to ask, is, is there more Graham and Riker somewhere in the future? <laughs> you know, I owe those fellows a novella so badly. Um, but I just haven't found the right moment to write it, and I haven't found the right expression for it. I'm not sure how long it should be. I'm not, I haven't decided. And my indecision has prevented me from doing it right so far. But I, I can't imagine that they won't get another moment. That's good. I, I could take that. <laughs> I definitely have some ideas for what happens to them after the fact. And um, yeah, I, I can't wait to get back to those characters. That sounds like so much fun. I have a ton on my plate right now that I need to take care of first. So yeah, and I'll continue to write both every kind of romance because that's what's interesting to me. And I have a lot of characters and stories in my head that need expressing. I wasn't ever going to write the understatement of the year just to have a male male book in my series. It happened by quite by accident. I was at a football game with my 10 year old son and at, um, it was a football game between Yale and Dartmouth. Um, and I went to Yale, that's my alma mater. So I, took my son to this game at Dartmouth to, to watch my team um, struggle. And both teams really wanted to lose, but Yale wanted it more. So um, we lost, but at halftime, I saw a You Can Play video, and I'd never seen one before. And it was Dartmouth's You Can Play video, because that's whose um, stadium we were sitting in. And it was gorgeous. It was just a couple minutes of athletes from every sport looking into the camera and saying, if you can play, you can play. And also saying things like, I care about you because you're my teammate. And yes, it does matter to me because you're my teammate and no one should ever be afraid to walk into his locker room. And it was really that line that struck me. And I thought, wow, what would that be like to be afraid to walk into your locker room and who's afraid? So when I went to Yale in the 90s, it was a super open place. It was the best thing ever, super liberal environment, lots of people comfortable in every kind of fashion. But I realized at that moment that unless that video was necessary, that video would never be made. So my idea of my college as 
um, a place where everyone is comfortable was flawed or this video wouldn't exist. And that's what gave me the story for Ricker walking into that locker room and seeing Graham for the first time in years and how uncomfortable that made everyone. And I just had to write it. Instead of going on to the next book I thought I was reading or writing, I wrote that one in, in a fever because it was such a compelling conflict and I just couldn't wait to find out what happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ricker, I've been pronouncing his name wrong for over a year. That's Well, that's okay. He doesn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say the trademarks of a Serena Bowen book are? Texture. I, I care a lot about my setting and about the secondary characters. Um, so I try to make sure that I have a setting that I can really dig into. And the Ivy Years has that setting of the college that I care so much about and the emotional touch points that have to be present. And they're sexy in a way that's not always um, um, super hyper descriptive on the page. It's more about what's happening in everybody's head. And that's kind of where the sexiness comes from. So I, I guess that's what I would say. Okay. I can see, I can see all those. So what do we have to look forward to as 2016 continues from you and from Elle, if you know what she's got coming up that we can mention here? Ah, well, Elle is doing so well with her off-campus series. She's just put out book three, which is called The Score, and it's my favorite one. It was hysterical. And um, she kind of drops the bomb, a bomb at the end of that book. So everybody's going to be foaming at the mouth for book four when the fall comes. And I'm writing a brand new series that happens in Vermont, which is my home. And it's, a, it's not about sports, it's about food culture and farming because Vermont is such an amazing food culture and it has so much going on. So I'm really enjoying that. My first book is about a cranky orchardist named Griff who wants to make artisanal cider. Um, and in the fall, I have another hockey series coming from Penguin. And the first book is called Rookie Move. And it's, um, a, it's a spin-off of the Ivy Years, where some of my characters have aged up into the NHL. And the first book is about Leo Trevi, who is the captain of the um, Harkness College hockey team in the final book. And he's also present in the understatement of the year. It's his car that um, Graham and Ricker borrow when they need to drive to Burlington. So he finally gets his book in book one of the Brooklyn Bruisers series. Um, Rookie Move is the title coming in September. Nice. I liked Leo. I liked him. Yeah. He was a good guy. He was, he was a little... It took him a little while to warm up to Ricker, but he did it, and he, he became a great friend. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you and Elle foresee another book for Wes and Jamie, or is their story closed off with us? Well, Wes and Jamie are going to appear on the page again, but it might not be their story. Okay, I could take that too. <laughs> there are a couple of standout characters in in us that really deserve their own book, and you know, 
we hope to get to them soon. Awesome. So you, you've got this group on Facebook called The Locker Room. Mm -hmm. you're, you're a coach there along with some other authors who deal in sports books. Um, can you tell us how that came about and kind of what that, what that environment is like for you as an author and the, and the feedback and support you get from your readers there? Well, I'm involved in several Facebook groups because it's a really great way to chat with readers. The locker room, as you said, is focused on sports books. And um, that came about, it began with um, Kristen Callahan and Elle Kennedy and Monica Murphy and Cora Carmack, who all write fabulous sporty books. Um, and people tend to stop by there and post um, sporty news links and funny things that happen in sports. So you can imagine that we've all been, we were all talking a lot about the NHL All-Stars developments. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a lot of fun. And um, it's, it's a great way to chat with people and readers can kind of shout out their questions and ask about upcoming things. And uh, that's where people ask me, for example, if my books are coming out on audio and, it's just a great way to, to talk to people and with a common um, subject that makes it fun. Yeah, I, I've quite enjoyed it since I got in there. And I love the all-star stuff around John Scott in particular that you guys were talking about. It, it was great. And of course, we sure weren't the only people talking about it, but it's a great forum for something like that because the people there, they care about story and they care about sports. and. Um, the locker room is a great intersection of people who care about both sports and story. Mm -hmm. Very definitely. So I want to give you our question for the week because we, we always ask our authors uh, to participate with our question uh, when they're okay. on. So this week we've got, do you have a preference on POV for the stories that you're reading? And if so, what is it? I like all kinds of POV. I, in the past, I used to say that I was not a fan of first person present, which is funny because him and us are both written in first person present. And what I didn't like about it is that um, it's possible to sound a little bit young and breathless and um, the I voice gets a little repetitive, I, I, I. But um, but what I realized is that I just wasn't a fan of first person present when it wasn't done well. <laughs> so I realized that I was enjoying many, many books that were written in that narrative POV. And then I began to, to enjoy writing it myself. So that's been, that's been an education for me. And I, I wouldn't want to say that there are any point of view voices that I really can't stand. You don't see much second person, but of course, um, there's some really fabulous examples of that in the world. Even, you know, it's a little strange, but any, any POV can be done well. Mm -hmm. So I like them all. I think I've only read one second person book and it was Bright Lights, Big City by Jay McInerney. Right. That is the, you know, the best one. The first, the first page is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And it continues on that way. And um, um, I've actually read one second person plural, we, a we book. And that was by a novelist, Ed Park. Um, and it was a workplace 
novel. So the we voice is all of the sort of um, underlings at this in this office. And that was super creative and really interesting. So yeah, I wouldn't rule out any point of view. And I'll look that book up. I'm, I'm fascinated by second person just because it's so different. And I'll, I'll have to find that one. A little spin on the POV question. Is there a voice you prefer to write in or does it just change up depending on the needs for your story? I think I prefer first person past tense. But right now I'm working on a book in first person past tense, in third person past tense, and I just finished this one in first person present tense. So I'm, I like to be flexible. Okay. So now you can ask our listeners a question. What's on your mind that you might want to ask the authors and readers who listen to us? Oh, wow. I guess I'm always curious to know about which character archetypes they're just done with because fiction is somewhat cyclical and um, we all have our preferences and that's cool because it makes a big interesting marketplace for stories but i'm just curious about which archetypes people are finished with personally i never read books about i never read romances anyway about um billionaires because i worked on wall street for 12 years and i think dudes in suits are like totally boring <laughs> You know, rich guy in a suit, eh, I've seen it. Um, so I, I like to read books uh, where the heroes are differently involved in the world, but that's just my preference. I'm just curious, uh, you know, what things people are over and done with um, just in general. And of course, I there are probably amazing books about dudes in suits that I would enjoy and will probably have to eat my words on that at some point, just like I had to eat my words about first person present. And, and that's great. It's, it's a lively conversation. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing what our listeners come back with on that. Great. So what are the best ways that our listeners can keep up with all things Serena Bowen? And uh, we'll certainly pull out some L. Kennedy stuff to throw in here as well, because we want her to be well represented. And you can call out some of those if you'd like as well. Right. Well, um, I keep a lot of great information on serenabowen.com, and that's where my newsletter sign-up is. And Elle Kennedy does the same thing on lkennedy.com, and her newsletter is also fabulous. That's really the best way to keep up with us, but we also have Facebook pages where lots of interesting things are posted, and that's how we like to communicate. All right. So we'll link up to all that stuff in our show notes for this week. Serena, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that uh, you and Elle have a wonderful success with uh, us. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun to write, and it's, it's already making me happy, so it's already a win. Well, that was a really great interview. I'm glad you had a chance to sit down and talk to her about the new release coming up. Me too. It was, it was interesting hearing you know, how her and Elle do their writing process. Mm-hmm. I could not have conceived, and, I, and we alluded to it in the interview, that I really thought that it was somebody wrote Jamie and somebody wrote Wes. Yeah. And that they are able to just, you know, write 2,000, 2,500 words 
and then go, okay, I've, I've done what I can do for today. Here, your turn. <laughs> In the middle of a scene, a scene break, you know, however, uh, that's, that's fascinating to me. And just... You know, kind of one more thing we've heard on how people co-write that, you know, we'll kind of take in as we start our own co-writing journey later. Yeah. So Serena asked in the question of the week, which character archetypes are you just done with? Hmm. So what's that mean for you, Will? Well, I don't... Me personally, um, if I'm not into a book or and enjoying a book for whatever reason... Uh, I put it down. So if yeah. if the, if it's the story or if it's the voice of the author or if it's a lame main character, I'll put it down. So I don't think there are any specific archetypes that I'm sick of. Uh, Serena mentioned she's, you know, a little tired of um, alpha billionaires. Um which I suppose I could understand if that's, you know. But then again, I don't know. I mean, if if Alpha Billionaires is your thing, then you wouldn't be, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm oh gosh. Yeah, it's a difficult <laughs> question in a way because I think, you know, if there was an archetype I was over or didn't like, I wouldn't have picked it up in the first place. True. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff I just don't read because mm-hmm. I'm not interested in it. You know, and there's a there's like shifter stuff. There's a lot of people who love shifters. I'm not into that archetype. I'm not reading it. Um, so, but I don't also I don't also think that that falls into the idea that I'm done with it. Okay. You know, I read a lot of hockey players. There's an archetype right there. I write them and I read them. Yes, you do. And I have yet to really put one of those books down because like, ooh, sexy hockey players mm-hmm. reading this. Uh, so and I think even if there was an archetype I was kind of done with, if somebody was like, hey, read this book, it's really good, I'd pick it up and read it. And you could maybe revive the archetype for me if you told a story in a new and interesting way. Yeah, I think it is really all about the author and how they tell a story and how they might uh, give their own personal twist to a trope or an archetype mm-hmm. that makes a book interesting and worth reading. Um, what yeah, you know, it's not an archetype, but something I certainly uh, am over is like paper thin characterization. Mm-hmm. There are there are, there are some books where the the characters are so inconsequential. There's no real. They're very two dimensional. Um, and they don't draw you in, so uh, I'm over that. But that's that's not really an archetype. That's more that's, a writing style. That's that's a, the author's <laughs> fault. Um, yeah. Um, so so yeah, we I don't know that we gave good answers to this, but mm. we're certainly interested in what the re- what our our listeners come up with because so, we know there are voracious readers in our listenership. So yeah, what are you sick of? Are you sick of billionaires? Are you sick of hockey players? Are you sick of Sheiks wandering the desert looking for, you know, well, I was going to say virgins, but... That's random. Well, Harlequin Presents is full of horny sheiks. I suppose that's true. Harlequin Presents is, like, built on the bedrock of horny sheiks and revenge-minded billionaires. Okay. 
<laughs> I don't think I've read the Sheik version of the Sheik stories, although I know I've read a couple of the billionaire stories in that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, tell us what you think. What are you sick of in, ter- in terms of an archetype? You mm-hmm. can leave those answers on the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And remember, of course, you can suggest a question as well when you're there. And, ooh, we haven't talked about this in a while. You can also sign up for the newsletter. <laughs> The monthly newsletter, you can sign up on the website so that you're even more in touch with what's happening here in podcast land. Mm-hmm. And if you have a chance, please leave us a review on whatever channel or uh, place that you get this podcast, i.e. iTunes. We would really love a, a star review on iTunes. That always helps with the visibility of the podcast. That's right. While, you're, while you're reviewing your next book that you read, hop on over to iTunes, leave <laughs> us a review too while you're in review mode. That would be awesome. Indeed. Yeah. So with that, uh, we leave you for the week. We hope you have a good one. Remember to pick up Serena and Elle's new book. It's linked in the show notes and you won't, you won't regret it, I promise. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you back here next week. All right. Bye for now, guys. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. For detailed show notes, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. 